Hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is Severin and Ambrosia and welcome to another episode of the original Designated Drinkers the podcast where we dive deep into drinking one libation at a time. Today's podcast is brought to you by Whiskey Terroir. See, I wasn't even going to attempt to say that. You had to get the dialect and languages out. So thank you for helping me out there. I got you. Okay. So um, Ambrosia, just just to start, tell us what this episode is going to be about. Whiskey Terroir. 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 Okay. Terroir. Uh, so um, we're going to get into it uh, with our special guest here, Ian Hosek. Uh, but essentially what terroir is, is a French word um, describing a range of factors, including soil type, climate, sunlight, farming practices, and terrain. And it affects the crop's phenotype, which is the observable characteristics or traits of an organism. Okay. It sounds very in-depth. Can be, but it's a, it's just like an overarching term. In France, it's it, it kind of means like of the place, but it doesn't have a direct translation to it. Okay. Uh, so it's it seems like a a daunting task to talk about, but it could be broken down pretty simply. And I, I I think Ian might be able to do that for us. Okay, well that's what we're here for, and that's what the show is all about. So without further ado, let's get into our guests. Um, hello, sir. How are you? You know, I'm I'm doing pretty. Pretty, pretty swell. Talk a little bit. Yeah, there you just go. Just a little closer. Just a little bit. <laughs> okay. Doing outstanding today. Um, this is Ian Hosick. He is the Whiskey Inn. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Ian. Well, um, I am, uh, I've been here for about 16 years in Chicago. Okay. And for a good portion of that time, I've been working either in, I started in hotels and bars and restaurants, and then I moved over to... Brands and distilleries in about 2014. So I started at Koval here in Chicago. That's where I got the depth of my kind of my overall knowledge, where I got to see a process from start to finish. I got to see it from grain to bottle. Okay. And um, from there, kind of just sought out different opportunities so I could. Uh, my my goal, and I've I've kind of said this a bunch lately, is I want to have a. 40,000 foot view of my industry mm-hmm. with binoculars. I want to be able to see the entirety. I want to see the, the forest and I also want to see the trees. Exactly. So I, I, I then started a distribution company with a family here in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, Romano Beverage. They're still going strong. Okay. And from there, I moved over to Uncle Nearest Whiskey, uh, where I was the district sales manager. But I've also been conducting private tastings and educational seminars and experiential products okay. for, you know, your bachelor party or uh, mostly what I've done actually kind of marrying my former life as a classical singer. I've been actually doing a lot of these events for like uh, Lyric Opera, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. They have like, you know, young professional guilds or um, uh, even smaller companies like Core Productions, which is a small company here for their like, gala where I'm a experience. And I, I talk about spirits. I do, do tastings uh, and get people excited about tasting rather than drinking. Oh, so explain that to me. Well, uh, you know, I think we all can agree that the reason we're here is because we like alcohol Mm -hmm. and it's fun. (laughs) It's a good time. I'm also a Floridian. So (laughs) give me a few four locos and Florida Ian will come out. Uh Oh, but at the same time, um, they're really 
interesting, complex wine, beer, spirit, ciders that we have out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to remind people that it's not just about drinking them. It's not just a good whiskey is a good whiskey, I'll drink it, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of work went into making that really good whiskey or that really beautiful cognac or that wonderful bottle of Napa Cab, you know? And I want to get people excited about that okay. and remind them that, yes, it might seem a little out of reach to have all these like tasting notes and to do all those things, but it's within your grasp and you can learn and you can enjoy. And so that's kind of what I'm, my, my mission is, my Understood. personal mission in life. Very understandable. Um, the tasting and making stuff up, if you have listened to the show, that's my favorite part is trying to come up with all the different names and descriptions for what we're tasting. So thank you for the explanation of that. Yeah, thank you. So what do we have here? Well, I wanted to talk about, you know, you you define terroirs so well. And uh, it is a very uh, concrete thing, terroir, but it's also a little abstract in what can influence the final flavor of a spirit or a wine or whatever it is you're making. So I brought a few whiskeys. Um, my heart lies in American whiskey. That's where I got started. And that's what I know the best for sure. But... Um, I think whiskey is a really unique exploration of terroir where wine, I think people are really thinking about the land that it comes from. Uh, And not that this isn't true of wine, but in whiskey, it's also the environment that surrounds it. And it really, I think it defines the characteristic of a whiskey. I think American whiskey, for instance, is super bombastic. It ages really fast in our barrels comparatively. Um, We have, you know, big char on our barrels and all of those. And that, and that wood comes typically comes from the country that we're in. I think it all influences the product uh, as well as the other kind of the, the circumstances of, of maturing it, uh, which, you know, are things like uh, oxidation that happens. Uh, and then like in Scotland, it's a much more consistent temperate climate. You really feel that the grain itself is usually pretty mild, but then the other characteristics that are being kind of imbued into it, that's like a, a peated scotch, for instance, that that bog peat is so indicative of the land, the kind of the craggy rock land and the gray skies. And I just think that uh, we can kind of see a place through the spirits that they're making. Okay. Well, that all sounds amazing. Makes me extra thirsty. So... Ambrosia, you have anything to put on top of that? I want to know which one we're tasting first. Well, that's a good question. I did not. I I am torn between starting here with mm-hmm. this wilderness trail, or or starting with the Egans. I think we should start Irish. I agree. I think it's, we'll start Irish. Okay. It's going to be the lightest. Okay. Exactly. It's going. We're going to start start light and head dark. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also up and proof. I'm a big fan of up and proof. I think that's helpful. I also like to do that because sometimes, and we'll talk about this with some of our later whiskeys, but proof, I don't, I think proof is your best friend. I don't think it necessarily means a hot experience. Mm -hmm. Cheers. 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 Okay. So it tastes Irish. (laughs) It does. <laughs> but that's kind of my point, is that it does taste Irish. It, it tastes Irish. Now, um, one of the things I do is I kind of describe every bottle that we have here, and um, I did that again on another episode of um, my show 
and it's just kind of what I do. So do you mind if I Please. describe the bottle? So we have a tall, slender bottle, Egan's Single Grain Irish Whiskey, Heart of Ireland, from the Heart of Ireland. Sorry about that. Um, established 1852, has a nice E on the front of the bottle. Um, light background, gray tones, gold overtones, um, kind of the foil. Um, vintage grain. This is what it says the bottle. Vintage grain, 46% by alcohol, 92 proof. Distilled three times and matured in bourbon casks. Meticulously selected by, and we have a signature, Jonathan V. Egan looks to be. Um, sixth generation, non-chill filtered. This is casked in 2009 and bottled in 2017. And then real quick, I'll give you a rundown of the back. We have a few bottles, so I'm going to go quick on these. Um, Egan's Vintage Grain. Egan's Single Grain Irish Whiskey is a celebration of the extraordinary industry and endeavor of our forefathers and their passion for the craft of malting, brewing, and bottling. P&H Egan played a central role in Irish whiskey's rich and unique history. Today, the Egan legacy and time-honored traditions are carried forward by a family with Irish whiskey in their blood. Aged in bourbon casks with a nose of vanilla and hints of caramel, this single grain is sweet and characterful with a charming complexity. Egan'sWhiskey.com, again, has the signature. Sixth generation is Jonathan O'Maurice. Possibly, I couldn't can't read the cursor. Fifth generation, sweet. Thank you. So here we're, we're we're sitting in Ireland, and I think that again, talking about terroir, Irish whiskey is typically made from predominantly malt. Other brands might have some other cereal grains in it, but for the most part, it's made with malt. And malt on its own does not offer a lot of flavor. It's a very mild grain. Okay. Uh, but one thing that malt, uh, well, rather. Barley is a very mild grain. One thing that malted barley offers is a great deal of alpha amylase. And alpha amylase is so important to the fermentation process. Grains on their own are typically predominantly starch, not necessarily sugar. And alpha amylase, which is uh, enzyme released when that grain starts to grow, mm -hmm. is what turns that starch into sugar. From a, from a science-y, nerdy standpoint, that, turning that starch into sugar is to feed the new plant. Okay. It's a food source for that baby grain to grow. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing when we're malting, when we're malting barley, we are getting it wet and hot, and it's, we're getting it to begin that process, mm -hmm. and then we stop it. And we stop it because we want that alpha amylase to turn all that starch into sugar without growing a grain. Mm -hmm. And there's enough in malted barley, for instance, that if you have just in your, so in your American bourbons, which is more, more corn, just 5% malted barley in that entire mash and that entire collection of grains mm -hmm. is gonna have enough alpha amylase to convert all the starches from the other grains into sugar. And most of the time, most bourbons have 5% malted okay. barley in it. Yeah, you'll see, you'll just just gets it, see gets that. Gets it started. Yeah, exactly. And it's not gonna affect the flavor too much. It's gonna be pretty mild. And that's one thing about Scotch and Irish whiskeys that I really like. It's a blank slate. Mm -hmm. So they're taking their, their malt they're distilling it with column stills predominantly. It's going to make a much cleaner, smoother whiskey. I think that's really indicative of Ireland. Mm -hmm. It's a very relaxed culture. They're not looking for crazy big bold. They're looking for a good time, something easy and fun. I think it represents them culturally almost more than it does in their terroir. 
but they are getting their things from they're getting their grains from you know as local as possible usually oh actually um i was just talking about this the other day with um tony um he's been on sev's podcast a couple times uh and he focuses on irish whiskey and we were talking about uh the uh, idea of Irish whiskey and where they get their malt. And he started telling me about uh, Waterford. And Waterford is the first distillery in modern time in Ireland that's trying to have a trace of where that malt's coming from uh-huh. because most producers are actually getting their malt from Scotland. Well, that's what I mean. As locally as possible, as in, as in yeah. like, they're getting it close by. Yes. Um, yeah, which is kind of, that's kind of cool. I don't know much about Waterford. Oh yeah, they so they're doing a. They actually are releasing a, an experiment about whiskey terroir. Um, it should be released next month, but like snippets of it are available to read. And what they've done is they've planted their barley in different parts, uh, and, and then they're researching using scientific techniques to um, see if terroir is actually mattering once the distillation comes out. I am of the opinion that it doesn't as much. Because when you're distilling, you're, you're separating so much. Mm-hmm. I think that for spirits that are aged, it's more about where it's being aged. And again, I was talking about Scotland a minute ago, but Ireland is a pretty temperate climate for the most part. So it's going to be pretty easygoing. It's not going to affect... The whiskey is going to interact with the wood uh, because there are temperature swings, but not nearly as drastically. And that's why you said it, this is a pretty old whiskey. Most American whiskeys that we're drinking... Most bourbons are going to be, you know, especially the craft, some of the bigger names with their, their, their flagship lines, it's going to be under five years old. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity in Ireland and Scotland where you can really let it sit there for a while and it's not going to get over oak. It's not going to get too engaged. It's not going to get too oxidized because it's really, really temperate. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is indicative in, in their in their whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're using, again, ex-bourbon casks. So... We're in here in America, we're using virgin typically. So mm-hmm. that wood has never seen whiskey. Uh, this wood has seen whiskey. So it's not going to be, again, as stark a flavor injection. Although still in this whiskey, I think about 75% of the flavor is really coming from the barrel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's roll into the next one. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, but while we're pouring up the next one, uh, so I went to a seminar from Belvedere going where in the world are we going bam yeah, wilderness trail we're going here because i want to talk about why i like whiskey yeah this is i like these guys uh so i went to a training with belvedere and they i can't pour and talk there you go. <laughs> uh, they did an experiment with uh, different types of rye. so they grew the same type of rye in two different locations on different parts of Poland. One of them is in Lake Bartoszak, and the other one is in uh, Smorgi Forest. And we did a side-by-side, a vertical, of their flagship, which is a blend, and these two single estates, they're, they're, all, they're so different. They're so different. One of them is near um, uh, a salt lake, and you get that brininess in it, even through the distillation. And uh, they have a lot of science backing up why it's actually different. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And you talk about saltiness. Uh, places that have a lot of salt in the air are going to have a lot of salt in the soil. Right. Yeah. That, that becomes a, a part, you know, if we are what we eat, 
Certainly, our <laughs> plans are the same way, you know? Yep, there you so. go. Um, so this is we are trying wilderness trail. Um, let's let's all take a sip and see what wilderness trail kind of hits for. Cheers. Um, I like it. It tastes more American. <laughs> it tastes <laughs> like um, it's Kentucky. So, real quick, we have a square bottle with a wooden cork. Um. Kentucky, Kentucky tradition, straight bourbon. This is barrel number 16D21R, single barrel Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, bottled in bond, 50% alcohol, 100 proof. Again, this is a square bottle. And on the side of the bottle, we have what says bottled in bond, sweet mash, made from locally sourced grains from an old, Traditional mash bill of 64% corn, 24% wheat, and 12% malted barley. Copper column distilled from a single fermented batch using our sweet mash process and put into the barrel at 110 proof. Um, distilled, aged, and bottled by Wilderness Trail Distillery, Danville, Kentucky. WildernessDistillery.com, non-chill filtered. Again, we have the bottle and the cast size, and that is short and sweet and to the point. And I have a question nice for you, little bottle. Sure. Not to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Do you remember the difference between a sour mash and a sweet mash? Um, I just remember bread stuff. So <laughs> I remember something is rye, something is wheat, something is um, well, something I, else. I wanted to talk about sweet mash because I think you can taste it in this whiskey. I think 100%. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I taste a sweet mash, I'm getting a lot of like kind of chalky grain, white grain. Like it, there's something that's... It's a little more raw. It's a little more like a new make than um, right than before it's seen the barrel. Exactly. It smells like a distillery in a way. Very much so. And instead of the Rick House. Oh, but I love the Rick House. Um, with a so a sour mash versus a sweet mash. When you're making a sour mash whiskey or any kind of sour you know sour mash whiskey, you take uh, the liquid for the stillage from the previous distillation, the mm -hmm. previous fermentation, and you add that to the new ferment. Okay. What that does, it, it has dead yeast, it has a number of things, it has a, the right pH level, mm -hmm. and it makes for an ideal environment to ferment the, that mash, the mash bill that, that you create the whiskey from, uh, to, to get it going, and it creates a consistency of flavor. And another benefit that I can't stress enough is that it saves on water. Time. Every time I show up here, I feel like I'm going to get tested. Like, I feel like I got to bring a number two pencil mm -hmm. and get ready to fill out a Scantron. You're going to fill out a Scantron, and I'm gonna, I'll email it to you. You can do it from the comfort of your home. It's a take-home test. Okay. Don't you fret. Pro probably go a lot faster grading than regular tests I know about. So. Open book. The open book open book test. You'll be good to go. Open book, open bottle. <laughs> there it is. There we go. Yeah. And... The benefits of I I, per, I personally do prefer if I were to be making my own whiskey I prefer a sour mash for the for the reason of kind of keeping it consistent but also saving on that water is really really beneficial. Um, but there's something to be said for sweet mashes and there's something to be said for that kind of youthful flavor that you get from it. That was my next question. So you said you like this one as a sweet mash. What makes what what makes this one stand out? Because even before we sat down to start talking, you kind of pointed and looked at this one as hey, this is the one I want to get into. It's weeded. Mm -hmm. That's more than the sweet mash. It's a weeded bourbon. Okay. And uh, a weeder, 
as we call it, mm-hmm. uh, means that when you're making a bourbon, you're making it with majority corn, but there's usually a flavoring grain. So while our higher corn percentages, there's usually like a rise, most typically the flavoring grain, and then the malted barley is there. That's there, again, to facilitate that fermentation process, mm-hmm. um, that conversion of, of starch to sugar. But in the case of this whiskey, it's not a rye, it's a wheat. And I think that you, I just, I just like weeders. They tend to be bready and smooth, a little sweeter in mm-hmm. in some ways, but also a little bit more savory at the same time, like a really great rustic wheat loaf. Yeah, going bread. back to that bread. Going yeah. back to the bread. Rye bread yeah. versus wheat bread. Um, so Maker's Mark is an example of a weeded bourbon, um, as well as uh, Weller. Weller's a great example. Maker's is a great example. And Maker's is a fun example to use kind of side by side with these like heavier hitters with the wheat, like the Wilderness Trail with plus 20%, uh, because Maker's Mark is just 15%. Right. And they're using red winter wheat, which Mm -hmm. is a a particular, you know, genus of wheat. Um, But that's why I like this. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, again, distinctly American. Um, They are using that sweet mash. And they, we were talking about, you talking about barrel proofing. They're going at 110. Yeah, that's what, right. The wood is, the wood that we're using in America is typically American oak. Most often, um, 99.9 million percent of the time, almost, it's, okay. it's oak, um, American oak. Uh, and it has a lot of things that it can impart to make create that flavor. Okay. And again, we char the wood, which does two things. When you char the wood, it creates a layer of charcoal. That charcoal is going to clean up the whiskey as it interacts with the wood. And as it interacts, it goes into the wood and it's spit back out and back into the barrel. Mm-hmm. But it also creates a layer of toast underneath that wood and caramelizes all of those sugars in the wood. There are natural sugars found in oak. Sometimes we toast it and then we char it. Depends on the distillery. I'm not entirely sure what these guys are doing. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but that's not as important. That 110 proof is. Okay. Wood sugars, and as they're caramelized too, are water soluble, not ethyl soluble. So having a little bit more water, as an American bourbon, we can go in at 125 proof, uh-huh. but they choose to go in 110, and they're just going to have a better bridge for those wood sugars to get into the whiskey. Which I'm wow. getting with a lot of chocolate. Yes. It's really chocolatey. Chocolatey. There is a there is kind of like a big vanilla or like a vanilla wafer uh, with this whiskey. Um, I think that this is more uh, soft pear than green apple. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not getting toasted coconut, which I get more more with um, sour mash whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a big American whiskey flavor mm-hmm. is toasted coconut. Um, but that's really, that's really special. And I think it kind of speaks to the place where this whiskey is being made, Kentucky. Big, bold swings in temperature. It's really interacting with the wood. That wood is virgin, so you get tons of vanilla and those big sugar notes and the, that like chocolate chip cookie. I'm getting wood tannin in, oh, yeah. in, in my actual mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can yeah, feel yeah. it. And you get these <laughs> so huge... I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, you can. It, uh-huh. it, 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 uh, tannins are bitter. And then they, like and they grip you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that. That's that. Martin, that's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> right why is a big back. Napa Red uh, so good with a steak? Because it has all those big, big beautiful tannins. Big dries your mouth out, and you get that steak, and it's all juicy. Kind of the same thing's happening here. Those tannins exist. Yeah. And that. kind of like American... Uh, kind of like American food and American whiskey. I think it's big. I think it's bold. It speaks to the land. It speaks to the temperature and the weather that we have here. Um, and you can really, I, you really get that versus the first whiskey that Egan's that we had, which was milder, real smoother, mild. yeah, but something you can drink a lot of, which yeah. I think the Irish would appreciate. And I think, yeah, I think whiskey. a whiskey, sesh- very much a sessionable whiskey. Yeah. 
And I, I just think, again, they speak not only to the land it comes from, but also the culture mm-hmm. that these, these whiskeys are being born out of. Okay. This one kind of has a more of a punch to it. So, How do you like the Wilderness Trail, Seth? Um, it's, let me give it a number. I'm going to give out of 10, I'm going to give it a 7.8. That's pretty good. Yeah, 7.8. It's not, it's not my favorite in the world, but it's definitely not the worst thing I've ever had. All right. So. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful review. It's not the worst. <laughs> no, it's not. I, th- th- actually, that's a good episode. I want to taste the worst. I, I want to just have. Oh, I got you. I can, we can do that. Yeah, oh, that I can great. torture you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with that. All right. I'm a glutton for punishment anyway. So yeah. I'm going to write well, this one down. I, I think you need to do that. It's so important to know what is what shit. Like, because I mean, everything, you gotta know. we always got good. Everything is good. Oh, yeah, this is good. Everything is great. We need to have, like, this sucks. This, oh, my yeah. God. I think you why should, is this you even should, in a bottle? You should kind of censor those labels maybe yes absolutely but okay, that's, that's a really good idea i don't think people appreciate knowing what's bad you can't have the light without the dark you cannot it's, it's a balance there you go see I, show idea y'all just saw it pop right up here. Right, right, right here you can't have a chicago summer without the winter there you go <laughs> yeah, this is true boo but yes <laughs> yeah all right what's next i want to move to I'm going to, yeah, we'll do the Old George. So this is a rye. And the reason I brought this is because if bourbon is uh, distinctly American, as is rye. Uh, Rye is more. Yes. I would argue. I would say that in today's kind of zeitgeist of of spirit drinking, uh, bourbon has definitely taken the hearts of many. But uh, it all kind of starts from rye. Absolutely. And this is a great example of craft. We might say that Wilderness Trail is craft, but their operation is growing so much, and the the style and processes that they're using are a little bit more um, streamlined. Yeah, in line with the big boys, mm-hmm. really. I mean, and whereas uh, this whiskey is uh, from Grand Traverse, they're really they're trying to be craft. They want to be craft. They want to be that kind of that kind of drinking experience, and I really appreciate that. And this is, again, another example of kind of youthfulness in American whiskey. Cheers. 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 It smell to me, because I, oh, I smell it, it, it first. Give me some tasting notes. Well, yeah. no, no, I haven't even tasted it yet. I'm just a smelling note, but it, it smells like fall to me. It smells like... It smells like dead leaves. Yes, that's what it smells like. It smells like dead leaves and some rain. Okay, and I like this whiskey, and I like a lot of craft whiskeys, but that... That nose to me is so craft. Mm-hmm. That dead leaf. <laughs> That's what it tastes like too. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's so distinctly craft. It, and it tastes like, yeah. That, that dead leaves. leaf alongside some of the youth from this whiskey, which this is not seen in the barrel much past two, three years. Um, I think it's indicative of craft. Can we, can you define craft here so that we know what we're talking about? Uh, when I say craft, I'm thinking quantity in which they are so producing. Yeah. Um, I don't know the actual number, but you're you're, you're not producing. You're you're selling 700 cases a market. You're not selling 
10,000. 10,000 cases a market. Yeah, exactly. A you're year. probably not going to be in a Binnie's. You're not going to you're not going to be in a Binnie's. Uh, well, actually, Binnie's is a pretty Binnie's is pretty. They, yeah, they're diverse. I mean, then if you ask them for something, they're trying their best to go out and find it. So You're not going to be in an ABC. There it is. You know, which is a national or more more national because Binnie's is so local. You just simply don't have enough juice. You just simply don't have right, enough juice. Yeah. And, and you couldn't you couldn't support that. And you wouldn't account. be at every Benny's or anything. Like I said, it'd probably be a special get. So yeah, um, I'm going to describe this one. This one has a plastic cork. Um, Grand Traverse Distillery. It has what looks to be a skyline of spirits right at the top. Oh, their, uh, I think that's their still. That's their still. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. Yeah. Old George whiskey. Um, 93 proof, 100% straight rye whiskey, 46 46.5% by volume. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Grand Traverse Distillery, and it has the nice, beautiful, pure Michigan right down there at the bottom. Um, Grand Traverse Distillery, Michigan's oldest craft-certified grain-to-bottle distillery, is pleased to offer whiskey aficionados a true 100% straight rye whiskey distilled using traditional methods. Old George is handcrafted in small batches and distilled four times. We separate the heads, hearts, and tails and only use the pure hearts of the run so no chill filtering is necessary. This whiskey has a big, bold character and a flavor profile that is both sweet and spicy with notes of caramel, vanilla, and sandalwood. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Grand Traverse Distillery, Traverse City, Michigan, GrandTraverseDistillery.com. We had another one from... Um, Was it the Cherry Bounce? Traverse... Trevor City? Yeah. Um, I forget which one it was. We, I'll, I'll look in a second. All right. But again, I think that this is uh, another way to look at terroir. You know, they are 100% rye. It's craft. It's very indicative of craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, there's something about these northern ryes, which is very minty. Yes. I definitely get a lot of eucalyptus nuts off this. Yes. Lots of eucalyptus. That's coming from being a, a, a rye from the north. Yep. A rye is coming from areas in the Midwest, in the northern Midwest, and that's just so distinct, especially of Wisconsin ryes. Uh, I have a, I, uh, J. Henry, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Well, J. Henry's bourbon. Yeah. But they, all, they, they utilize rye. Okay. No, no, they're a weed of bourbon. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. For the listeners, you don't have to... Uh, let me describe what's happening. I'm making every face possible and Ambrosia's over here cracking up and trying not to laugh into the microphone at me. But why not? Hey, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. This is not my favorite. Um I I no, don't like this one. Um, this is, what, was, what would it be out of ten? I mean, I wonder too if it's this if it's if it's rye or if it's this rye. I think it's this rye. Yeah. I think it's this rye because I've had a rye before and I'm like, oh this is delicious. Oh I like the one bottle of rye that you bought oh, me. Oh the dickle rye. Yeah, I like that mm-hmm. a lot. But um, this, really good. no, this reminds me of fall and having to rake the leaves and I get a little bit of dirt in my mouth while I'm trying to put it into the big black plastic <laughs> bag with the rake. I mean, all of those things yeah, I think no. I can find, like, there is kind of a plasticine kind of Absolutely. note to this. He's a, good, he's a good taster. He's a great taster. I am out. Oh, that face. Wow. Yeah, no, thank it's you. It's a great face. No, Beautiful thank you. Beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, when we finally get our website up and going out, you'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing about rye that I think is really important to talk about is how yeast interacts with it. Mm-hmm. People think of rye as a peppery 
uh, spirit? And yes, absolutely it is. Uh, Good reach. Thank you. Stay hydrated. Oh, oh it's so hard as a rock. Yes. One water bottle. One more. Is it another one? Hydration is important. Thank you. <laughs> I have to have to get the um, taste of the leaves out. But um, uh, yeast. When it, yeast, the, the reason that rye whiskey is peppery is because when the rye reacts with certain yeast strains, it creates a peppery flavor. It's not the grain itself per se. Oh, I know what I'm doing tonight. Rabbit holing down that topic. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's really interesting. But when you when you realize that you're like, oh yeah, there's a lot of diversity in rye. Uh, so and that's something. That, and then that mint. That mint is so uniquely northern rye. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, rye uh, would be a whole other episode. Rye is very fascinating. Yeah, and you know, talking about yeast. A lot of the places that we're making whiskey, or, or we're in America specifically, we're making a lot of our whiskey. That Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Kentucky area, Indiana, Indiana as well, Ohio as well. A lot that whole kind of that limestone belt mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason whiskey was most likely born out of that space is because it had the perfect conditions. It had the right weather. It had enough wood for the barrels. It had the grains growing. But it had natural yeast in the air. That's and a, the river. That's the rivers, a great yeah. point. Because, right, we always, I mean, every time we have uh, whiskey in here is from, like you said, that area, that Ohio, Michigan. Um, Tennessee, Louis. Kentucky. Yeah, so that, that kind of Midwest vibe. And it, it always makes me wonder, like, what were they doing up in the um, northeast corner, of the, like up in Maine and upper New York, or even if you go out Fruit. west? Like, what were fruit. they doing fruit. in California? So they fruit. were doing um, brandies? Mm-hmm. Okay, so fruit versus grains and everything yeah. else. Or it. it was being imported, especially if you're talking about kind of, not the greatest time, colonial America in the yeah. north in the northeast. A lot of that was probably being imported. Okay. Um, Pennsylvania used to be the rye hub of America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's not too far from New York. That's not too far from Massachusetts. Right, so right, right. A lot of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just have a picture of um, the United States in my mind because that's the only geography I'm good at, <laughs> not world geography, but just kind of thinking what each state offers or brings to the table as far as when it comes to an offering of a spirit. So just yeah, without yeah. getting into it and digressing too much, it's one of the big reasons why brandy production and cider production fell out of favor is because of the expansion and the introduction of all the grain production. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, we had a lot of people coming in from Scotland and Ireland, moving mm-hmm. through the Tennessee and the Kentucky Germany. region. Germany. Germany is probably where we get this Pennsylvania rye mm-hmm. tradition from. Mm-hmm. And then you have these people coming in from Ireland and Scotland. And so you just have lots of grain tradition. Okay. And those are the people who are teaching people how to distill. And so that's that becomes the the, the source du jour, mm-hmm. sort of, so to speak. Source du jour. Makes sense. The terroir, the source du jour. Oh, no. See, that's what I'm saying. It's just giving (laughs) me test anxiety already. And we we do have a lot of corn in that part of the world, and that's probably why corn became so prevalent. Another theory I have about why corn became prevalent is because it produced a very sweet whiskey, and they were trying to mimic the flavor of cognac. Yes, because the French... Love, I'm backing you up right on this because yep. the French love sweet shit. They love sweet They shit. love sweet shit, but also we loved the French. Yeah. Do you know Barbon? That's the name Bourbon, of the yeah. royalty bourbon. Yeah. And the, it's named after French people. As, oh, I'm with it. 
as America was coming of age, we wanted to be as distinctly not British as possible. Okay. And who helped us out in all that time? The French. The French. French. Yeah. That's why we got French fries. Selling the, you're just telling my life story right now. I'm trying. You really are. Well, I mean, we are. I, we have the same haircut. I it's feel true. It's, it's Did you, you like this? I do. I do. Like, today. You guys are awesome. I, I see that. I, I can't do that. <laughs> Give it a whirl. <laughs> But I think that's important. You know, that, that defines our flavor. You know, not only are the source of our materials defining our flavor, but so is our, our history, our culture. And um, and we're going to talk a lot about that with this next whiskey. Let's okay, do let's it. get to it. Um, which one? So, Because we have two Uncle Nearest offerings here. One is from 1850, has 1856. One has 1884. So uh, this whiskey is super near and dear to my heart. Uh, we're going to start with the 1884. It's a little younger. It's a little... Um, Age before beauty. There you go. That's my line. Age before beauty, really? That's my line. Um, sure. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe in person, I don't know. No, I thought it was. Yeah. You I mean, letting a, somebody a go lady never you. reveals her age. Age, <laughs> age before beauty. That's what I thought. <laughs> beauty before age? I don't know. No, no, no. I, was, I, was I didn't think I was younger than you. Um, no, no, no. I wasn't saying that. I was just oh. talking about the years on the bottle. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> because I think we're all this about one, the same age. This one is, no, I'm older than everyone. Um, this one is younger <laughs> than the other one. That's why I was saying age uh, before beauty. I see, I see. No, so this, so Uncle Nearest, uh, we're talking about terroir and um, Tennessee and Kentucky offered so much for whiskey production. Again, the, the temperature, the source of wood. The source of grains, the yeast in the air, just kind of made it a perfect water source. The water sources were the, the right pH, you know. It just made for the right environment to make whiskey. That's why you have a lot of whiskey kind of coming out. Again, Pennsylvania is not far from that region. Mm-mm. It all bleeds into it. I do, I, yeah, I do think that that like that limestone belt that is so indicative of that Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky region makes for better water at that time. Just, mm-hmm. just kind of thinking from a scientific standpoint Mm -hmm. um but that's really where why this is so why that history is so steeped in that region of our country um one thing about uncle nearest is that it talks about an element of our history as a country in a way that other whiskeys don't um so to start this is a tennessee whiskey and where this one is going to differ from bourbon is that it's filtered through charcoal before it goes in the barrel i find it gives the whiskey a silkier, smoother, less viscous texture. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the other whiskeys aren't smooth, like in proof or in experience on the mouth, but like um, have, uh, Knob Creek, I'm going to just throw that out there. It's a similar proof to Uncle Nearest. It's a similar age. Uh, it's just it's just thicker. It's just more syrupy, whereas the, the maple charcoal fil- filtering before it goes in the barrel just kind of thins it out in a, in a very very nice and unique way. I agree completely. Yeah, and that's distinct of the Tennessee region. Um, But while I um, no longer represent this whiskey anymore, it's a really important story. It's a really important person. And this is named after the first African-American master distiller on record in the United States, whom without we would not have Tennessee whiskey as a category. There we go. Tennessee Um, whiskey is a unique category. That's what I was waiting to get into. Let's 
get this. Seb came into the shop and was trying to pick out a whiskey. And I was like, oh, I've got Uncle Nearest. And he goes, that's that black whiskey. <laughs> yes, it is. And yeah. it talks about, you know, so I want to just, you know, before I get into Uncle Nearest, I have been talking about two other people before Uncle Nearest. So the first is a man in Hodgensville, Kentucky. He was a slave and he was often, this is an ugly conversation. He was often leased to other farms who had distilleries. Let's get ugly. Yeah, let's get ugly. His, uh, his, his daily rate was more than the wage of a daily, a white laborer. So he was, his services were so valuable. Mm -hmm. He was so skillful in what he did mm -hmm. that his rental fee was more than a white day laborer's daily wage. Yeah. What was, what was his name? We don't know. Oh, a secret guy. That's the problem. Damn we it. don't know his name. We know who owned him. We know where he was, but we don't know him. Now, now you talk about let's get ugly. Don't even know dude's name. That's, we don't even know the dude's name. It yeah, is ugly, and it's unfortunate because again, if he was making, if he was bringing in that kind of money for his farm, mm -hmm. he must have been a major asset. He must yeah. have been a skilled technician. And then the other person I want to talk about is a slave that was on uh, former President Jackson's farm in outside of Nashville. Okay, he. Ran away. President, former President Jackson, put out a paid ad to get him back to find that man. He put out a monetary reward because he was so valuable to Andrew Jackson's farm and business that he wanted to bring him back for that work. Wow. Do we know his name? We do not know his name. There it is. We do know that he never came back. We know that he was never caught. I hope he Good lived a free life. I don't know. We don't know. Free life making booze. I really hope so. I, I hope so. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah. But we do know Uncle Nearest's name. And his name was actually Nathan Green. He was known as Nearest Green and later in his life Uncle Nearest. That's why we named our bottle Uncle Nearest. That was the name he was known towards the end of his life. Okay. Um, but we do know Uncle Nearest. And the reason we know Uncle Nearest is because he lived within exceptional circumstances. Exceptional, sure, could mean great, but really what it means is rare. Right. That circumstance was different. Right. So... With this bottle of Uncle Nearest, I like it to be a reminder that a majority of the people making and creating American whiskey in the American whiskey industry were slaves and former enslaved people mm -hmm. who were skillful distillers and should be respected as such. Yes. So that's, that's what this bottle means. That's the story I've been telling for the past three, four years. And I've been honored to do it. You know, I'm not the keeper of this story, but I'm certainly a mouthpiece for it. That's awesome. Um... This one I don't hate, but I've had this before. Um, okay. My um, uncles, they try everything um, from everywhere, and that's why I knew about this um, whiskey from before and heard the story about the whiskey from before. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't this who Jack Daniels, the big conglomerate now, kind of got their whole Tennessee whiskey recipe from? Uh, yes, and that is, uh, I, 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 it's a gross simplification of Uncle Nearest's accomplishments. Okay. So, moreover, Uncle Nearest uh, was practicing distillation. He was also, he was owned by a brokerage, the Green Brokerage. That's how he got his surname. And he was experimenting with charcoal filtration and his whiskey. Charcoal filtration is something that West Africans did in West Africa for centuries, as well as in the United States when they were when, when we brought, unfortunately, we enslaved people here. Mm -hmm. um, it was a way to make clean drinking water, mm -hmm. clean food broth. It was a way to purify things. 
to detoxify things. Right. So he just married those two processes together mm-hmm. to see if he could make a smoother whiskey. And he'll be moved. He was born in Baltimore. He'll be moved to Lynchburg, Tennessee, where he was on a farm for a man named Dan Call. He was still owned by the Green Brokers at that time. And that's where he perfects his process. So 1856, on the second whiskey we'll try, uh-huh. that's the year he perfects his whiskey making process, which is to basically make a bourbon, by all accounts, it's the same, it follows the same rules, and today those laws are really established. But then he filters it through charcoal before it goes in the barrel. Okay. So that's that's the, def- the really the defining characteristic of Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. So to what you said earlier, he's the founder of a category. Of a whole that's, category. That's crazy, right? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. At that same time, a young eight-year-old orphaned Jack Daniel moves to the farm. Mm-hmm. Known as Jasper Newton, He'll take on Daniel as his as his last name in honor of Dan Call, the farm that he was working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll work together for a number of years throughout the Civil War. Uncle Nearest experiences freedom in 1865 in December, and Jack is offered the still where they were operating in January of 1866. It's so a one year. Okay. Well, no, maybe month. not even. I'm about to say, yeah, one month. December to, yeah. So he's freed in one month. Jack opens up Jack Daniel, mm-hmm. and no, he didn't use the recipe. He hired Uncle Nearest to that's, be his first master distiller. That's awesome. So Uncle Nearest is the first master distiller at the Jack Daniel Distillery. He's the first African-American master distiller on record. He's mm-hmm. the creator of a category. And today, Jack Daniels is one of the most widely distributed brands of American spirits in the world. Right. We would not have that, we would not have that company if not for the partnership of Jack and Nearest. Now, while... Jack owned the distillery, and while his nephew, who would take over the distillery after he passed, mm-hmm. uh, owned the distillery, there was, uh, uh, there was uh, everyone was paid based on tenure and position. So there was equality in that workplace. Mm-hmm. Nearest and his boys, who would then take over the role of master and head distiller after Uncle Nearest would retire in 1884, mm-hmm. um, they would be the highest paid uh, employees at the distillery. Okay. And everyone experienced that level of equality, which is radical. This yeah, company was started yeah. in 1865. Yeah, Six, especially where me. it's at. Exactly. It's still not happening. Still not happening entirely. Exactly. That's, that's a whole other guy. That's, that's a whole different <laughs> but, podcast. Yeah, that's, exactly. But at least we can talk about this we moment of exceptionalism. <laughs> you know, we can talk about this as, this is an amazing story. This is not the answer to all of our problems. This mm-hmm. is just a, a reminder that, that it can exist. Yeah. And that this person can be honored. And it wouldn't be until later that we lose sight of Uncle Nearest. And so this this company came back to honor that legacy. And that's what I was just about to ask now. So when did this company come back? Uh, oh, when did this company came? Uh, it came back in 2017. Okay, came back in 2017. I, let's, I'm sorry. <laughs> let's jump into the next one, and then I'll describe both the bottles together. Is that okay with you guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have the... Original bottle to 1884. Actually, 1856 is the first bottling. 1856 is the first bottling. Okay, yeah, that's I the got first you. We released. All right, they and released. then you said he perfected it in 1884. 1856. So hold on, which one is the is the perfect one? Well, they're both perfect. They're both <laughs> well, no, perfect which one angels. is the perfected one? So 1856 is the year he he finishes his process. He perfects his process. Okay, he got the process. 1884 is the year that he retires and hands the role of master distiller to his son. Got it. Okay, 1856 perfects the process. 1884 hands the keys to the car over. Well, yeah. to the distillery over. So I'm like I said, I'm going to describe both the bottles in one fair swoop here. 
Um, nice big square bottle, Uncle Nearest. I'm reading the 1856 one. Premium whiskey, award-winning American whiskey, handmade in Tennessee, maple, charcoal filtered, aged in charred oak barrels, 50% alcohol by volume, 100 proof for this guy. Um, on the back, astonishingly smooth with a gentle finish, Ooh. Uncle Nearest. 1856 is inspired by the best whiskey maker the world never knew. Tennessee's premier master distiller and teacher, Uncle Nearest, helped perfect the distinctive maple charcoal filtering process that exemplifies the best of American whiskey. Made by hand, double distilled, and aged in American oak barrels. Uncle Nearest, 1856, pays tribute to his legacy and craft. UncleNearest.com. Um, yeah. And then the other one, real quick, the 1884, on the back, it says Uncle Nearest 1884 is the proud legacy of the best whiskey maker the world never knew. Tennessee distilling legend Nearest Green. Each of our small batch premium whiskeys are individually selected by our founders and descendants of Nearest Green. Bottled at a similar proof to what made Nearest Whiskey so beloved. This batch was curated by Victoria v. E. D. Butler. V. E. D. Butler. Okay. Yeah. This is the part is I'm excited about. So, all right. Victoria to it. is an amazing person, and um, I have a phone date with her tomorrow. Ooh. That I'm, I'm fortunately not looking forward to. Uh, it'll be a, a sad and happy one at the same time. But Victoria's Uncle Nearest great great granddaughter. So I'm no longer with Uncle Nearest, and it was a wild ride to be with them. And just being, she was a woman who has come into this industry and really made waves. She is now our Master Blender. She won Master Blender of the Year this year from the Icon of Whiskey Award, which awesome. is huge. Yes, She's the first black woman to hold such a title in the United States. Um, she's just, and also she's just so humbled that we, the you know, me, no longer myself, but we, the employees of Uncle Nearest, would even deign to tell her family story. Mm -hmm. She's truly honored and gracious in that way, in that respect. And reality is we should be gracious towards her, and we are. But um, she's a really wonderful person. She's and she's a, got an amazing palette. This she, blending is amazing. Yeah. Yes, this is... I um, and I, and I, dark, I like the... the that one just a touch better the than 56 the other a little one. bit more yep. yeah i sit with the 56 myself and the 84 Same. is really indicative of, of victoria this is really what she likes mm -hmm. um and it's just it's it's a session whiskey you can <laughs> crush it on a porch all day but american session it's an american session and one thing i wanted to do with these whiskeys compared to the other whiskeys that we were tasting today mm -hmm. this is the oldest american whiskey we have on the table okay and i believe it's a, a little younger than the egan's and you can see just how much more bold this whiskey is from the aging process yeah, yeah. than from the Egan's. And then these two first two whiskeys, you just said you you enjoy this one a little bit more. Yeah. This is, you're getting a lot of 11-year-old barrels in this whiskey. It has an 8-year-old age statement, but there's majority 11, 12-year-old barrels making this whiskey, which for me is the American sweet spot. Mm -hmm. I like American whiskeys at about that age. And it's just so like cooked and caramelized in that respect. Here's to Victoria. Here's to Victoria, who I, I absolutely love. Um, another woman who is really important to Uncle Nearest is actually a descendant of the Jack family line. She's our head of whiskey ops. Her name is Sherry Moore. And she and Victoria actually grew up together. Okay, cool. You know, like they're, they're friends from for their whole life. 
because of who their families are. Yeah. And cool, cool. Sherry was the head of Whiskey Apps for Jack for over 20 years. You worked there for almost 40. Well, I really appreciate the order that you chose for us to go in. Um, yeah, well curated. Yes, that was, that was very good. I that, tried. That, that last one I'm sitting with, and yes, it is awesome. It is phenomenal. What I like to say is that this is the 84 is more for your cocktailing mm-hmm. uh, or your sessioning, and the 56 is more of your cigar or steak. I, I when I'm talking about these whiskeys, the difference, I say one is your porch crusher, one is your fireside sipper. Okay. There it is. And, you know, both occasions are great. Yeah. Um, but the all of these whiskeys, I think they represent the cultures and the environments in which they're born out of. Yeah, you know? so it's fascinating that uh, we started off when I thought that when we were brainstorming about this podcast and, and having our meeting beforehand, I was interested to see how you would take terroir. And you've gone even more French than the French have. Well, in thank you. Under- we'll see. <laughs> in... Uh, understanding terroir not just by the physical factors um, and the the true true definition of the word but taking it to an even bigger level of the folks that drink it the folks that make it and the experience that's around the physical place that it is existing and that's and that's something I like to talk about especially with whiskeys because distillation at the end of the day is ultimately a subtractive process we're taking that ethanol out of its original fermented form and separating it. Right. right. So where you could have a more distinct sense of terroir in kind of the physical um, sense of botany, Mm -hmm. you're losing that a little bit as it's distilled. So how do you taste terroir in something that's a spirit? Well, it's going to come from the environment around it more so, or, or more so than say, a, a wine. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that it doesn't exist for wine. It's just I think it's more distinct in a spirit. You can taste it more because you're, the the human manipulation is yes. the the focus. Right, and human manipulation can be a good or bad thing. In the case of most spirits, I find it to be a good thing because it's a craft. It's an artisanship. Mm-hmm. So I, I I that's why I like to talk about it and encourage people to taste and think about it. Because it is unique, it is different, and it's not going. And it is, it's a step away from wine and beer, which I think most people, are, you know, most people, in, especially in America, are drinking mostly wine and beer on a, like a pretty regular basis. Insider, insider, insider. <laughs> mostly seltzer. I mean, right now it's mostly just it's a bunch of it's a bunch of truly. <laughs> it's a bunch of seekers. It's a bunch of seltzer on a boat, uh, <laughs> which is fine. Like that sounds great. Get me on a boat. I'm hot. Yeah. Um, you are hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's that haircut. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is. So I, I, I do like to distinguish. And, I, and that's what I like to bring to my tastings is that we're going to talk about the, the whole of the picture around the spirit because of that human manipulation, because it is a subtractive process, not an additive process. I like where this went. Yep. Uh, appreciate you coming and appreciate all that extra hard work in speaking and explaining everything to us um i'm still scared of the test that's coming up well there's a the test is going to be pretty fun (laughs) we've had a few whiskeys right yeah a couple now now it's time to so my drunk litmus test i would do this when i was a bartender i have one too 
I would we do all do. It. I would do that. Festivals. Mm-hmm. We all have one. Can you say Sensational Spider-Man? Sensational Spider-Man. You're doing great. Okay. Sensational Spider-Man. We can all go home easy tonight. Well, <laughs> I've read all these bottles, and I'm starting to see I need glasses, too, because, oh, my goodness. Oh, you need readers, old man. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. I'm older than everybody. But have a few more Uncle Nearest and say Sensational Spider-Man. Sensational Spider-Man. It'll get a little harder. That's Sensational But see, that's the that's the beauty of this show. You know, we want to show that we're professionals. We're tasting and drinking and everything else. We're not just sitting here getting lost on recording. And again, I talked about this in the beginning. I'm, I, I like to encourage people to taste for tasting, not necessarily for drinking. Yeah, yeah. we. I mean, we have a big old dump bucket over here. We're yeah, yeah consuming you don't everything, need, but no one needs to get... I've been on a couple podcasts where I've gotten... So fine. Oh, I mean, so those those are fun too. But yeah. you know, that's kind of it's balanced with everything yeah. in moderation. Even moderation. Stole my line, but thank you, I appreciate it. Um, and I didn't even drop it this this episode. So, but that's that's what our show is here for. That's yeah. what that's what we're here to do. You know, we want to kind of bring light to different spirits, and you know, have people taste it, tell us what they think, and all that other good fun Enjoy stuff. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other questions for Ian? Um, would you sing us a song? You can't afford me. Oh, <laughs> that's the truth, though. Oh no, I believe it. I, that, that, right, that's, I take no offense, but a hey, don't hurt to ask. Another so. another like real thing. Yes. I have no idea how your mics are set up, and I typically blow out mics. Not, oh, not well, because we don't, I'm like so so loud, but because it's like a certain kind of frequency. We don't need that. Yeah. Um, you're right. We can't afford you. We we can't afford you to break the mics. Nope. We can't afford your voice i don't even think we can afford these bottles so with that being <laughs> said <laughs> how do we find you you find me uh at the underscore whiskey in on instagram and on facebook um i'm starting up a stronger presence for my tastings and my seminars so uh, find me there from everything from whiskeys to taste as well as cocktails and cocktail uh, recipes that are unique to ian and his cocktails are amazing oh i believe it i mm-hmm. i'm gotta gotta come check one out so i did 25 days of cocktails for december like a dum-dum uh <laughs> and my creativity i found i found the upper limits oh, of you, my creativity. you like climbed up in there i climbed up in there and it got it got dark and then there was a series of trash cocktails that i did for florida because i was in florida for christmas oh, mm-hmm. i remember those i was yeah. jealous i wasn't tasting they them. were really good i um, thought they were uh but yeah i found the upper limits and then i was like just struggling but i am i'm getting better a lot of classic riffs getting your mojo back getting my mojo back with that awesome. so you know how you can help us be able to afford someone like ian Sponsorships. There it is. So, if anyone would like to sponsor the show, please contact us at the designated drinkers podcast at gmail.com. Just designated drinkers podcast at gmail.com. And let us know what you think, what libation we should dive into next. Please, any comments that you have, ask questions, anything at all, and reach out to us at that at that handle I gave you. I'll give it to you one more time. Designated Drinkers Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at the Designated Drinkers Podcast. On Twitter at Drinkers Podcast. And one day we'll be on Facebook. 
I don't know what day that'll be. So, <laughs> and you can also visit our website at designateddrinkerspodcast.com for photos of today's booze, cocktails, articles, and more. And like I said, please reach out to us. All the feedback that you have, we would love to have it. Ian, thank you so, Ian, so much. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And thank you for having me. I would love to come back. All right. All right. Cheers. 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 Next time, let's do rum. Yeah.